Good morning. It's been a while. We're going to be looking into, uh, if you've been following along in the gentle and lowly books, uh, we're, we're in a couple of chapters that talk about how we've been, ta- we've been focused on the heart of Christ and, and all the different things that that means and, and how his heart is so tender toward us. And then there's a couple chapters now that talk about, okay, so we've talked so much about the heart of Jesus, but what about the Father and the Spirit? How, how do they fit into this picture? So today we're going to be talking about the Spirit, and I, I think that next week Rob will be spending some time on the Father and, and the perspective from that. Um, so our focal passage this morning actually is from John 14 and John 16. I'm going to read quite a few verses to get us kicked off, and I'll do that here in a moment. Uh, John 14, 15 is where I'm going to start, and then I'm going to move to John 16, 4. So if you want to put your finger on that second passage, John 14, 15 is where we're starting. Hear the word of the Lord. If you love, this is, uh, sorry, this is Jesus in the upper room uh, as he's talking to his disciples before, right before the crucifixion. And that's the context here, that upper room discourse uh, from the book of John. So hear the word of the Lord. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I'm going to skip to John 16, verse 4, and carry on from there. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, please bless this reading of your word. Father, we pray that these words uh, soak into our minds and into our hearts. Father, let us believe them. Let us live in the light of them. Let us change our minds and our hearts according to them. Father, please be with this message today. Uh, Open hearts, including mine, Father, and let us learn from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever seen a t-shirt that says, never trust a skinny chef? You seen that? What does that mean? It means, right, a skinny chef, something's wrong. Because they're probably not a very good chef, are they? If they're skinny, they're not eating their own cooking, and that's not right. So, so what does this mean? What does this mean to us? Right? We're, you know, it's a funny little saying on a t-shirt, but how does this have some kind of theological bearing on us? Here's the thing. Sometimes we are challenged not just to eat our own cooking, but to believe our own teaching, right? In the, in the software world, I'm, I'm an IT guy. We call it eating your own dog food, right? You, you develop a product, you use that product, and you're eating your own dog food. You're eating your own cooking, or you're believing your own teaching. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we have a little bit of a challenge uh, to believe our own teaching, to believe what we say we believe, to actually live like we believe it. You remember the Pharisees of the New Testament. Their whole focus was the truth of the Scripture, to honor God's Word and to follow it always, right? They knew the Scripture. They knew the prophecies. They knew the laws. They knew it like the back of their hand. They could quote it on demand. But somehow, when the truth of Scripture, when the promises of God were fulfilled right in front of their eyes, they didn't see it. They didn't believe it. So all of the time that they spent memorizing God's Word, preaching God's Word, teaching God's Word, and telling how great God's Word was, it didn't make any difference in their life. Because when God's Word was standing in front of them and saying, here I am, the fulfillment of the promise, they said, no, 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 no. We don't believe that. So they wasted, they wasted all that they had done. They didn't eat their own cooking. Skinny chefs. Whitewashed tombs. And Paul used this too. He used the same thing. When he, you remember that episode when he was on trial. And he called, he called this division out from the Pharisees. Because he said, no really fundamentally what this is about. This is about a belief in the resurrection. And the question here is, do we actually believe what we're preaching? So he's in front of Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees said they did, but then when someone was actually resurrected, the Pharisees didn't have time for that. So Paul's calling out both parties, and he's saying, no, the only reason I'm here, folks, is because I actually believe in what I say I believe. And, it's, and it gets kind of crazy. People think you're crazy when you actually believe. So this morning, we're talking about the Holy Spirit a little bit, right? And how he works in the lives of believers, for us as 21st century Baptists, we might need a little encouragement to believe what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. 
I want to talk for a few minutes about what, what church cultures say about the Holy Spirit, what the Bible says about the Spirit, and then I want to talk just for a few minutes about how, how we should receive that. Um, what kind of things do church cultures say about the Holy Spirit? Well, they kind of can come in extremes sometimes. One thing that a church culture might say is they focus exclusively on the Spirit himself and, and the gifts, and they, they almost discount the Father and the Son. They want to just focus on the Spirit and all of the supernatural things that the Spirit can do and the gifts that come sometimes. They focus on the experience. They focus on the sensational. And, but sometimes the truth of doctrine gets kind of lost in the, in the priorities. And they can forget this gospel of grace and forgiveness. Sometimes they can forget the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Is it exotic fruit? No, it's very straightforward fruit. Remember what it is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits of the Spirit are not, they're not weird and strange, right? In fact, they're, well, in our society they are, but, but they're, they're understandable to us, right? They're not sensational things. Uh, but, but sometimes those things can be left by the wayside in the, in the seeking of supernatural and sensational things, prophecy, tongues, healings, miracles, things like that, which God does have the power to do and does sometimes do, but we, we sometimes get focused on those sensational things and ignore the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes in this, in this kind of a tradition, we can people can get the idea that if they're caught up in the Spirit all the time, then everything that comes into their mind must be from the Spirit. And, and that can be very misleading too because not everything that comes into our minds is always from the Spirit. And if we just assume that it is, we can really get off track. There's a lack of discernment sometimes. And sometimes people want to use the Spirit or attempt to use the Spirit for their own goals, their own entertainment, their own experience, maybe the promotion of their own career or whatever. We see in Acts 8 a a very clear example of this. Simon the magician came upon Peter and he saw the power of the Spirit and immediately the Acts says he believed. He actually believed and started following them around. And then what did he do? He offered them money. He said, Peter, here's some money. Can you hook me up with this power so I can have the power of the Spirit, so that I can lay hands on people and they'll be filled with the Spirit? And Peter condemned him and said, No, you completely have misunderstood this. You better go repent. We don't need to name names of ministries, but I'm sure that if we had a conversation, many of us could name some names. They travel. They do sensational things. They claim things. Sometimes they fake miracles. Sometimes they claim prophecies. Recently, I've, I've been aware of uh, some, some people who call themselves prophets, but they were recently made fools of because their prophecies didn't come true. Uh, they, they got political. Instead of, getting, instead of focusing on God's things, they were focusing on the things of this world, and they were making political, political prophecies that were false. You know what the Old Testament says to do with a false prophet, right? It's pretty harsh. You stone them. You kill them. Now, we're we're not necessarily 
endorsing that we need to go kill these people who made false prophecies. But I am saying that if, if someone is a false prophet, they're on thin ice. They're on very dangerous ground, right? God does not appreciate people claiming to speak for him and then speaking lies. That's a dangerous place to be. Now, I will say, I'm aware of at least one of those people who calls himself a prophet who apologized. When he realized and recognized that he had said something and it didn't come true, he actually apologized. And it was a heartfelt thing. It was really interesting to watch. Some of them will never apologize. Because, uh, because that's the spirit of this world, never apologize. So that's one thing that can happen, right? We sensationalize the power of the spirit. And we try to use and manipulate the power of the spirit. But there's another error that we can make. We can deny the power of the spirit, right? And probably in our tradition, in our circles, that's the more likely error that we would probably run into. And we would focus on Paul's warnings. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul's lecturing these Corinthians because they, they had issues. And he, and he tells them things like, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Right? Can we say amen to that? We agree with that. All things should be done decently and in order. Yes, all things should be done decently and in order. They recognize the dangers of focusing on the Spirit's gifts too much. They emphasize the importance of true doctrine and not just spiritual experience. But they can also forget Paul's other encouragements about the Spirit because that isn't all Paul said, right? In those chapters, it isn't Paul saying, oh, forget about the spiritual gifts. He's saying God is a God of order, but God gives gifts, right? In those same chapters where he says God's a God of order, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Whoa, that's interesting. Later in the same chapter, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? In 1 Thessalonians, again, Paul writes, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. We are... We're cautioned to be careful, careful here, because we do not want to deny the power of the Spirit. We do not want to go crazy, and we do not want to make up a, a sensational and, and crazy theology that, that focuses only on the Spirit and His gifts and denies the gospel. But Paul's cautioning too. Don't deny the power of the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. In 2 Timothy uh, 3.5, there's a little verse here, and it it's not exactly talking about the Spirit, but, but he warns against people who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. And, and that's a, it's a related idea here, that we can have the appearance of the fruits of the Spirit, but they might be sometimes kind of just self-generated, right? If I'm a fairly disciplined person, that can look like self-control. It can look like peace from the outside, right? And, and if... If I'm pretty good with people, people skills, I might appear to have love. But, but we, those can be an appearance of godliness, an appearance of the fruits of the Spirit, but without the power of the actual fruits that come from a Spirit-filled life. So we're expected to live, to walk in the Spirit all of our days. We don't get a one-time visit 
from the Spirit when we trust Christ, and then the rest of our lives is up to us, right? So let me ask, do you you expect the Spirit to live in your life, to change you, to move you day to day? We should expect that because that's what we're promised. Jesus promised that in the upper room. I will send the helper. Now we we see, uh, when we look at Pentecost, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later. It came up in Sunday school today, interestingly enough. Really didn't see that coming, Um, but there it was. When the Spirit came upon the believers at Pentecost, they saw something like flames above their heads. It's interesting that this image of fire, of flames, and, and we're cautioned not to quench the Spirit, as in trying to put out a fire. So if the Spirit's like a fire, then, then let it burn in you. Right? Don't quench it. Don't quench it. Don't try to tamp it down. Let it burn in you. You didn't light the fire. Okay, and you don't have to force it to be lit. God does that. But according to Scripture, somehow you can affect how strongly it burns. You can either quench it or not quench it. right? And don't. He's saying don't quench it. So if you feel the Spirit prompt you, follow. And what kinds of things might he prompt you to do? Crazy things? Well, sometimes maybe things that seem crazy to the world. But sometimes they're, they're not crazy at all. Sometimes he prompts you to pray for someone. I've had conversations just in the last week with, with Connie about situations where someone knew they were supposed to pray for someone, and then they found out later there was a reason. They couldn't have known otherwise. They didn't have the information. Actually, one of Sarah's friends had that experience uh, just a couple weeks ago. Very interesting. Um, but if the Spirit prompts you to pray for someone, do it. You know, stop what you're doing and pray. And if it seems right later, maybe tell them, because that can be such a blessing to them. Did he bring someone to your mind randomly, especially if it's someone you haven't seen or heard from from a while? There may be a reason. God knows what's going on. He can move in our hearts. Has he prompted you to just stop and worship him? He might do that. That would be a good prompting to follow, wouldn't it? If you're out and about, especially on a day like this, if you're, if you're, thinking more than just, you know, surface things. Wow, what a glorious day. And God gives us these glorious days. He shows us beautiful things. And what can we do? We can respond and say, wow, thank you. You didn't have to do that, but thank you. Sometimes he prompts us to say an encouraging word to a brother or sister. Fan the flame. Fan the flame. Follow his lead. On the other hand... This is a holy fire. It's a real fire that's lit by the Spirit. We don't need to use lighter fluid and gasoline, right? That's, that's the other thing that's going on in these weird ministries sometimes. Lighter fluid and gasoline to make a, a pretend fire that's not actually the Spirit. And we don't need to do that. Prophets on YouTube, right? Worship videos with smoke and, and uh, highly produced camera angles and all those kinds of things. Be careful. Be careful because sometimes it can... It can have an appearance of worship, but it might just be slick salesmanship. And we want to be really careful. And then finally, on this point, I want to, I want to raise this principle to you because I think it's really important. You've heard the, the old Chinese proverb, all things in moderation, right? It's actually an, an Eastern, kind of a far Eastern philosophy, 
all things in moderation. And it sounds really good, right? It sounds wise. But the goal with the Holy Spirit is not balance. It isn't, well, too little spirit or too much spirit. Is there such a thing as too much Holy Spirit? Is that even possible? It's not possible, no. No, the goal is not balance. It's not, it's not regulating the spirit. The goal is to completely give yourself over to God, completely, and live in the spirit, completely. Not giving him just enough, but holding some back. It's not about regulating. It's not about balance. It's about giving yourself over to him. Let him use you to bear the fruits of the spirit, because he will do it. And those fruits are beautiful. And they're blessings to others. They're blessings to all the people around you. Don't discount the gifts of the Spirit. Don't mock them. Don't do it. And I've heard it, and I may have even been guilty of this at times. We do not mock the Spirit of God or the gifts that He gives. That's a very foolish thing to do. Our God raised Jesus from the dead by the power of His Spirit. Right? And He promised the same for us. So this is a powerful, powerful thing that we want to we honor it and we want to be careful. Um, so what does the Bible tell us about the Spirit? Well, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the presence of the Spirit among the people seemed to be more intermittent. It was the Spirit came and sometimes the Spirit left. Sometimes the Spirit was only present briefly. In Judges, it's interesting. We see the Spirit come and go. Fills someone for a short time, they do some amazing act, and then they leave them. Sometimes the amazing acts are really short-lived. I was just looking through Judges. So we see the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he, and he went and conquered. We see Samson. Samson's an interesting one. The young man grew, this boy Samson, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan. Then this is an interesting one. The first time the Spirit really comes upon Samson, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces. So that's verse 6. By verse 8, he's already found a, he's already found a woman that meets his fancy. Right? So Samson, filled with the Spirit, tears this lion in pieces, and by 8, he's already turned his attention to a woman that he really has no business messing with. Um, Spirit comes and goes in, the, in Judges, we see that. In the stories of Saul and David, it's very interesting what we see. The Spirit comes with the anointing of them to be king, right? And he stays and he dwells in them. But there's a possibility of withdrawal. Saul experienced the withdrawal of the Spirit after his, his disobedience, and God put, took the Spirit away. It was horrible. And Saul's life went completely south after that. And remember that David, David had the Spirit too. And David sinned greatly. And then we see in Psalm, we, we don't get to see Saul's inner life like we see David's inner life through the Psalms. But we don't get to see Saul's. I'm not sure if I said Saul or Psalms. But Saul's inner life is not as transparent to us. David wrote stuff down. So we can see his heart, right? Psalm 51 is, is, is David's psalm of repentance. And what does he say in there? He begs, please don't take your spirit away. Because he knows he deserves it. He knows that what he has done has, has greatly offended the spirit. 
He says, against you only have I sinned. Sam wrote an amazing song. I'm sure it's probably looping through your head right now. Um, and, and so David is, is concerned about that. He says, I know I have deeply offended you. I've offended this spirit that you put into me. Please don't take it away. Please don't. He knows it's a danger. And what do we learn in the New Testament? What does Jesus say? Jesus says this very interesting thing to the Pharisees one day. They're accusing him of having a demon and driving out demons by the power of demons. And he says this this really remarkable thing. All things will be forgiven except blasphemy against the Spirit. Isn't that remarkable? He's pretty much saying any sin except this one. You don't blaspheme against the Spirit. And a lot of people have written different things about what they believe this blasphemy against the Spirit is, but the context of of what's happening in that passage is, is very straightforward. Jesus drove out demons. The Pharisees said, oh, by the power of Satan, you drove out demons. And Jesus said, oh, now you've gone too far because you're calling the power of God, of the Spirit, the power of Satan. And that is a blasphemy. That, that will not be forgiven. It's a really hard thing. It's a really hard thing. Later, it's very interesting. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. This isn't a sermon about the unforgivable sin. But except to say that, that God cares about the Spirit, and blaspheming the Spirit is not something that He's going to tolerate. Um, it's interesting later in 1 Timothy 1, Paul, Paul talks about having been a blasphemer before but having been forgiven. And he says he had acted ignorantly in in unbelief and later repented and trusted Jesus and had been forgiven of his blasphemy. Very interesting. He doesn't specifically say that he blasphemed the Spirit and committed the unforgivable sin and then it was forgiven. But it's very interesting that he was committing blasphemies because he was killing Christians and he was saying that the truth was a lie and lies were true. Um, so So we see this. The, the other thing that we're taught here, Romans 8 tells us, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, the power that raised Jesus from the dead will live inside you. Remember, Jesus already promised that he's going to send the spirit. And he says, the Father and I will make our home with you, right? So we see this promise. And Paul's reminding us of just how great this promise is. The power of resurrection itself can live inside of us through the Spirit. It's amazing. What is, Jesus says a remarkable thing in the passage that we just read. Do you remember he said, it's to your advantage that I go. Can you imagine being physically with Jesus, having spent three years with him like the disciples does, did, and then he tells them, but I'm leaving now. But really, this is for your good. That would be kind of hard, kind of hard to believe, wouldn't it? How, how can it be better if you're, if you're leaving me? Because I would really rather you stay. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. But yet Jesus said it. Jesus doesn't lie to us. So how can this be? How can it be actually better that Jesus is going away and sending the Spirit in His place? Well, it's, 
there's a couple practical things we can think of. Jesus took on flesh when he came to be to live among us. And the flesh, in a sense, was a somewhat of a limit. So he could be with his disciples or he could be elsewhere. He could be with different people at different times. But it was something of a limit that he chose to take on in humility. And so, but with the Spirit, when he sends the Spirit, he can send it to all believers at all times. And actually can be in us. And remember that John 16, 13, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will... He will guide you into all truth. That's one thing that he's going to do. Jesus did out, from outside the, the disciples' bodies. He reminded them of things, and he taught them things, right? The Spirit's going to guide us into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. It says he will declare to you the things that are to come. He uses this, the Scripture. He brings to memory things that we've learned. Jesus says he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this is interesting. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus' truth, Jesus' love, Jesus' everything, and declare it to us. And then Jesus clarifies that even further still by saying, Remember, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is saying, that all of the mysteries of the Father are going to eventually be revealed to us. The Spirit is going to give us these things. Jesus is saying that while he was with the disciples, they could see him or not based on his physical presence. But when the Spirit came, the Spirit would actually dwell within us, reminding us constantly and ever-present of the truth of God. And so this is the principle that Jesus left us with. It is better for us to have the Holy Spirit within us even then to have Jesus physically present in front of us. Somehow, it's hard. It's hard to understand. But the question is, are we going to eat our own cooking? Are we going to believe what we say we believe? If Jesus said it, do we believe it? Do you value what you can't see? Will you ask God to reveal His Spirit more to you than He already has and continue to do that to grow you? So I just I have a few closing remarks if the musicians want to come uh, back up. Um, there's a list of things I want to just go through, of things that, that we're promised the Spirit's going to do for us. In John 3, we're promised that the Spirit's going to regenerate us. John, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then when, when Nicodemus was trying to get his head around what this could possibly mean, Jesus said, oh, well, you know, the Holy Spirit moves like the wind. You can't control what the wind does, and you can't control what the Spirit does. That's how it works, which I'm sure was, was right cleared up for Nicodemus at that time. But the promise is that the Spirit will come and regenerate our hearts, right? He will do that. John 16, 8 that we just read together says that the Spirit will convict us. We need to be convicted sometimes. He will empower with, power us with gifts. 1 Corinthians is a book about gifts and how to handle them within the context of the church. He tells us that each person gets some different kinds of gifts, that we don't all get the same gift, and, and praise be to God for that. Our gifts can work together like a body, like, a, like the different parts of a body. So the Spirit gives us gifts. The Spirit testifies in our hearts that we're God's children. Galatians tells us that. 
that the Spirit can actually remind us and tell us we're God's children. It's, it's, a, it's a seal and a reminder, a down payment of who we are and who owns us. We know that this, the Holy Spirit can lead, lead us. The Holy Spirit makes us fruitful. We see in Galatians 5, we already talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We should watch always for that fruit of the Spirit in our life and try to encourage it, fan the flames that, that cause that. We, the Spirit nurtures us in resurrection life. Romans 8 is a whole chapter about what, what it means to live in the Spirit including the ability to kill sin, right? Because Paul says that within the context of the Spirit, we can walk away from sin. We're empowered to do that. Romans 8.26, right, just right before what we read uh, today and as our confession, the Spirit intercedes for us. And we've talked about Jesus being our intercessor, right? Jesus is our intercessor in heaven. The Spirit also is an intercessor. And specifically says the Spirit prays for us when we don't even know what to pray. That's a remarkable thing. That's how much, uh, that's how much the Spirit loves, loves us as, as Jesus does. The Spirit guides us into truth. The Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. All these promises of the things that the Spirit will do in our lives of great power and great transformation for us. So let me ask you, do you think the works of the Spirit are only for the apostles and the prophets in the Bible? Paul in Romans 8, 9, he said, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's a, that's a great promise. Do you seek to encourage the Spirit to work in your life? Are you fanning the flames of the Spirit, or are you ignoring Him? Are you quenching Him? Are you trying to make your own flames with lighter fluid and gas? Let God work. And and finally, I want to mention this, that when, when we allow the Spirit to move us, when we allow the Spirit into our lives, and especially allow the Spirit into the church, he brings unity. We see this in, uh, in the, the stories of Babel and Pentecost, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, that God brought division to the people in Babel because they were focused on sin, they were focused on self-aggrandizement, and he brought division on purpose. But then when he saw the people at Pentecost, the believers, the Christians who were waiting for him, Because Jesus told them, go wait, and I'll send my spirit. They didn't even know what that would mean. They just obeyed. They went to follow because they only wanted to obey. And Jesus sent the spirit, rewarded them with unity. And suddenly, people were speaking in languages that that could be understood by foreigners. It was the strangest thing, and people thought they didn't know what what to make of it. But it was the supernatural power of the spirit that brought unity in worship, Unity in glorifying Christ and unifying unity in the body. If you see division in the body, guess what? That's not from the Spirit. The Spirit's not divided. And people who are following the Spirit aren't going to be divided either. So watch for that. If you find yourself divided with another brother or sister, either you or them or both are not following the Spirit. I promise you. Because division doesn't come from the Spirit. 
So let's pray, and then we'll have a time of response. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today also. Father, we, we come to you today, and we thank you, Lord, for sending your Spirit. And we pray, Father, that you would drive this home in our minds and in our hearts evermore every day. Father, help us to recognize when your Spirit prompts us. Help us to obey. Help us to follow. Help us to fan the flames and never, ever quench your Spirit. Father, may our hearts and lives produce the fruit from your Spirit. Let us be characterized by that. Let us be transformed into your likeness as we, as we are transformed by the Spirit. Father, I do pray this morning, if, if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted you, Father, then I pray that your Spirit would move in their heart. Just like you said to Nicodemus, to regenerate, to move, to blow, and to be born again, I pray for that. And Father, if there are any of us here who, who have professed a faith, but have somehow missed the fact that that's more than a one-time event, Father, I pray that you convict them and, and have them to seek you every day, to Father, let your spirit move in them every day, and let, let their life be marked by a continuous presence in your spirit. Lord, we, la- we lift these things to you in the name of Jesus, our precious Savior, amen.